Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Hope you have your Bible open in front of you today to Job chapter 32. Here we encounter a very surprising interruption. We have listened patiently now to a very long conversation between Job and his three friends. In essence, we've been forced to declare this conversation a draw. The friends have not convicted Job of any sort of glaring or spectacular sin that would correspond to the tremendous personal catastrophe that he has experienced. And Job, for his part, has not been able to offer any sort of compelling alternative to the version of events they have presented, which is why Job wants an audience with God. He wants to know what's going on. He wants to know what factors remain to be considered. He wants this draw decided, even if things don't go in his favor. That's where we left things. And all that remains, of course, now is for God to show up and tell everyone what's really happening. That's how we want the story to go. But that isn't what happens, at least not yet. In chapter 32, we meet a new character. A fellow named Elihu enters the conversation. He says that he's been listening the whole time, deferring to his elders. But now that the conversation has stalled, he feels compelled to enter the fray. And enter the fray, he does. He talks for six chapters, and he takes no prisoners. He isn't happy with Job, and he isn't happy with the three friends either. The question we have to decide as readers is what to do with Mr. Elihu. There are basically two options. Some see him as anticipating the declarations of God. In this view, the young Elihu represents the highest grasp of human wisdom. He sees a little further, a little clearer, and reaches a little higher, which then sets the scene for God to come and fill in the picture. There are a few scholars that take this view, but far fewer now than did previously. The majority of scholars and commentators take a different view. They notice that Elihu doesn't really say anything different than the three friends. He's a little more eloquent, certainly more verbose, and he makes a couple of really good points along the way. But on the whole, he says more or less what everybody else has already said, which is why, scholars believe, nobody bothers to respond to him. So if he isn't saying anything new, what in the world is he doing in this story? Tremper Longman III, I think, puts us on the right track. He says that what makes Elihu unique is not the content of his argument, but the ground of his argument. Right at the start, he distances himself from the friends who based their wisdom on the tradition of the fathers and the experiences of old age. Elihu, for his part, claims a spiritual wisdom. Thus, he represents yet another human pretension to wisdom, a false kind of spirituality that leads to error rather than insight, closed quote. I think that is well and helpfully said. I think Elihu's function in the story 
is to show us that there really is no practical difference here between proverbial theology and charismatic theology. Neither of them are able to probe deep enough into the realities and mysteries that we've been wrestling with so as to provide any meaningful or actionable insights. After both sources of wisdom have been exhausted, Job still finds himself in need of divine revelation. I think that's what's going on here. This is the Holy Spirit saying, through the inspired words and arrangement of the text, that when we have run down the rational and intellectual road as far as we can possibly go, when we lie exhausted and disappointed at the end of that highway, very often we are tempted to lie down into the sweet solace of mysticism. If the sage doesn't have the answer, then we turn exhausted and depleted to the mystic. And we ask him questions that ultimately can only be answered by the Lord. I think this interruption is here to immunize us against that temptation. Because what we discover is that the dreamer and the thinker are saying basically the same thing. They are coming up empty at exactly the same place. This, by the way, is what Job himself anticipated back in chapter 28. He asked the question, where am I going to get the truth? Where am I going to find knowledge? The deep says to me, it is not in me. The sea says, it is not with me. We can add to that now, the wise old man says, it is not with me. And the young charismatic man says, it is not with me. Job will not find the answers that he seeks until he hears a word from the Lord. Everything else is a fool's errand. Every other source will run dry before he finds what he needs. That is one of the main points that this book is driving at. Wisdom, real wisdom, real understanding comes only from the word of the Lord. Now, that isn't to say that Elihu's speech is unworthy of our attention. It is worthy of our attention, and it is part of Holy Scripture. Let me remind you of what Calvin scholar Harold Decker said concerning all of these partly right and partly wrong speeches. He said, The poor case of his friends is that affliction is divine punishment, meted out according to the measure of men's sins. They plead it well by making statements about God and man which are altogether true and valid and which must be accepted as being in themselves the pure teaching of the Holy Spirit. Now, as we've said, Elihu ends up saying the same thing that the friends said. He just gets there another way. And he says some very useful and inspired things along the way, which we must accept as being in themselves the pure teaching of the Holy Spirit. But of course, some of the things he says are not true. Some of them are off base. Some of them simply fall short. So once again, we're reminded that the book of Job requires an awful lot of us, and we need to be careful about making conclusions. We need to hold off uh, from stitching our favorite verses and snippets onto our bedspreads and wall hangings until we get to the end and we hear the word that makes sense of the whole.
So hear now the word of the Lord, beginning in verse 1. So these three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Now, of course, in the Bible, to be righteous in your own eyes is not a good thing. Proverbs 26.12, for example, says, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. So that's why the three friends have stopped talking. They believe that Job is hopeless at this point. He will not listen to reason. He will not listen to wisdom. He has it all figured out. Everyone is wrong but him. And there is absolutely nothing you can say to such a person. So you just stop talking. And that's what they've done. Verse 2. Then Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzzite of the family of Ram, burned with anger. He burned with anger at Job because he justified himself rather than God. He burned with anger also at Job's three friends because they had found no answer, although they had declared Job to be in the wrong. Now, Elihu had waited to speak to Job because they were older than he. And when Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, he burned with anger. So here we are introduced to Elihu. He is a Buzzite, which means that he is a descendant of Buzz, who seems to be a nephew of Abraham, according to Genesis 22:21. So he's got great genes, great bloodlines. We'll give him that. He's an important young man from an important family, and he's not very happy with what he's heard so far in this conversation. The text says that he's angry with Job because he justified himself rather than God. And to a certain extent, that's a fair critique. It's a criticism expressed by God in Job 40 verse 8. So he's not wrong there. In God's speech, God says to Job, will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? So at least here, Elihu is on the same page with God. Job has become obsessed with figuring things out in such a way that he is personally vindicated. He should have put some more energy into figuring things out such that God was vindicated. Job was looking for a solution that made him look good. He was less concerned with safeguarding the glory and reputation of the Lord. And that is a problem, a problem noted by both God and Elihu. Elihu is also upset with the three friends. The ESV says, because they had found no answer, although they declared Job to be in the wrong. Translators argue among themselves here as to what the original actually says. Some say it says and means that the friends put God in the wrong by failing to prove their accusations against Job. In essence, they have painted themselves into a corner with their overly simplistic theology. They have created an either-or scenario. Either Job is a great sinner or God is a complete tyrant. Well, they couldn't convict Job of any sin. So where does that leave us? Nice work, you bunch of knuckleheads. That's what Elihu is saying. You guys made a botch of it. But thankfully, I have come to clean up your mess. Verse 6. And Elihu, the son of Barakel the Buzzite, answered and said, I am young in years, and you are aged. Therefore, I was timid and afraid to declare my opinion to you. I said, let days speak, and many years teach wisdom. 
But it is the spirit in man, the breath of the Almighty, that makes him understand. It is not the old who are wise, nor the aged who understand what is right. Therefore I say, listen to me. Let me also declare my opinion. Here Elihu tells us why he was hesitant to enter the conversation, and why, now that he has, everyone should listen to him. He doesn't contribute initially because he wanted to let the old guys go first. That's what he says. He expected wisdom to make a strong contribution. But as we've said, wisdom botched it from Elihu's perspective. These old guys painted themselves into a corner and ended up making God look bad. The problem with you guys, Elihu says, is that all you can do is regurgitate tradition and experience, but that isn't where the real insights lie. The real insight, Elihu says, comes from the spirit in a man, the breath and whispers of God in the soul. That's where my understanding comes from. So gather round, and I'll share with you some of those deep and special things that I have discerned. Now, Elihu isn't finished introducing his speech. It would be nice if he was, but he isn't. Elihu is pretentious, wordy, and repetitive. He likes the sound of his own voice, and he isn't finished sharing it with us. Verse 11, Behold, I waited for your words. I listened for your wise sayings while you searched out what to say. I gave you my attention, and behold, there was none among you who refuted Job or who answered his words. Beware, lest you say, We have found wisdom. God may vanquish him, not a man. He has not directed his words against me, and I will not answer him with your speeches. They are dismayed. They answer no more. They have not a word to say. And shall I wait? Because they do not speak? Because they stand there and answer no more? Here, Elihu is saying that the old guys have quit on the conversation too soon. They've said their peace and shared their wisdom, but since Job hasn't agreed with them, they have Handed him over to God, you might say. Well, Elihu says, not before I have a crack at him. Verse 17, I also will answer with my share. I also will declare my opinion, for I am full of words. The spirit within me constrains me. I have to share what the spirit has given me, he says. I am full of words. The old commentator Rowley says here, none would dispute this. Elihu sounds like one of the brethren that Paul had trouble managing in 1 Corinthians, always filled with the Spirit, always eager to say something. He reminded them that the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. You don't have to share everything you think the Holy Spirit has revealed to you, the Apostle Paul says. You, you can, in fact, sit on it. You, you can, in fact, wait for it to be verified. There is such a thing as prudence and good order. Elihu sounds like one of those unruly prophets in 1 Corinthians, but at least he did wait his turn. 
But it sounds like it was a painful thing for him to do. Verse 19, behold, my belly is like wine that has no vent, like new wineskins ready to burst. I must speak that I may find relief. I must open my lips and answer. I will not show partiality to any man or use flattery toward any person, for I do not know how to flatter, else my maker would soon take me away. I can't keep my prophetic insights to myself any longer. If I don't speak now, I will explode. So buckle up, Elihu says, because I am an equal opportunity offender. I've got something for you, Job, and something for your friends as well. And if I don't share it with you now, then the Lord himself will take me away. That's quite the introduction. And it sets the stage well for the five chapters of speech and argumentation that follows. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you've appreciated the Into the Word ministry, I'd like to personally invite you to pay it forward by supporting one of our preferred mission partners. For the remainder of this year, we are highlighting the church planting ministry Mile One in St. John's, Newfoundland. Newfoundland is classified as an unreached population, with less than 2% of people identifying as evangelicals. Mile One Ministries is committed to helping healthy churches plant other Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches. Here at End of the Word, I only promote ministries that I have firsthand on-the-ground experience with. Mile One is bearing fruit and is being led and stewarded by people that I know and trust. If you'd like to make a contribution to this important ministry, you can do that by visiting the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca. There are giving options there under the Give tab for both Canadian and American listeners. International listeners are welcome to give as well, though their gifts may not qualify for charitable receipts in their nation. Thank you for considering this method of showing your support for the End of the Word program. And may God alone be glorified. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. 